Hello and welcome to our first episode of Naturally Educated, a series of 10 podcast episodes focused on issues of environmental sustainability by the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. Through these episodes, we hope to raise awareness and provide more information on the topic to encourage you to take more action within your community. My name is Majal Qasimi. I'm a trained veterinarian and I've had a 10-year span in environment and sustainability. And I am Abdurrahman Zabi. I worked in renewable energy research and overall environmental enthusiast. I'll be co-hosting the podcast with Majid. So today we'll be discussing what climate change really is and how it impacts our environment. We'll discuss why it is such a big deal and how the challenge has shifted during COVID-19. Finally, what is being done and how we can each help as individuals. Our guest this week is environmental economist in integrated environment policy and planning at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi, Hamid Abdullah Kanji, who will be bringing a lot of his own experience to the conversation today. So climate change is basically a change in the usual weather found in a place. This could be a change in how much rain a place usually gets in a year, or it could even be a change in a place's usual temperature for a month or even a season. The average wow. temperature of the Earth is about 15 degrees, would you believe it? But it's much higher and lower in the past. There are natural fluctuations in climate, but scientists are saying temperatures are now rising faster than at any other time. So this is destabilizing the Earth's temperature equilibrium. So do you know how climate change has been impacting our environment? I mean, yeah, I have a rough idea. I've been listening and hearing the news for the past couple of years. But, uh, but tell me more from your perspective. Okay, so there are many harmful effects on the environment. Climate change can aggravate erosion, and that's the sort of breaking away of soil. There's a decline in organic matter. Mm -hmm. Salinization, so getting more salty of soils and water. Mm -hmm. Soil biodiversity loss, so really the things that live in soil, losing that. Landslides, desertification, mm -hmm. and flooding. Some of the more direct consequences from man-made wow. climate change are things like greenhouse gas emissions. And this results in rising maximum and minimum temperatures, rising sea levels and ocean temperatures, heavier rain and hail, and even shrinking glaciers. Wow. Okay. I mean, I don't know if we will be worried in the UAE about shrinking glaciers, but elsewhere in the world, should, well, actually, you know, we it'll really affect everybody. Account. You see, there, there are challenges of that everybody is involved in. There are also indirect consequences mm -hmm. that directly affect us as humans and our environment. So basically, an increase in hunger and water crises, especially in developing countries. There are health risks through rising air temperatures and heat waves. Even insects move to different parts of the world because they get warmer or colder. You've got economic implications of dealing with damage related to climate change. We've seen global wildfires and flooding. The increase of those pests and pathogens yeah. that I mentioned then on to humans. Loss of biodiversity due to the limited adaptability of the plants and animals that live in those regions. And then ocean acidification because of the increased CO2 concentration in the water. There's really a need for adaption in all areas. And I'm talking about areas not just geographically, but things like forestry, energy, infrastructure and agriculture, even tourism. So you can see the impact is broad and hits 
at every aspect. Yeah, that sounds almost overwhelming. You know, it's immense. It's almost in every part of I, our life, so basically, true. right? But here's here's the thing. I mean, you yeah. could you need to understand that the Earth's average temperature has increased about two degrees Fahrenheit during the 20th century. So this may sound small when we're talking about mm -hmm. two degrees in Fahrenheit. That that is quite a big deal. So, for instance, how we how do we know this? Mm -hmm. NASA basically has a record of the Earth's climate. And the global average of temperature is stable over long periods of time. And small changes in temperature correspond to actually enormous changes in the environment. So for an example, at the end of the last ice age, the average mm -hmm. temperature were only five to nine degrees cooler than today. And we're talking about an ice age and you only wow, get an okay. average change of five to nine degrees. Wow, that's 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 quite a big, you know, difference. Mm -hmm. Let's say when when you're talking about such small degrees of changes. So, what does that mean for us human beings living on on Earth today? This means that we may be getting more droughts and heat waves, or much stronger hurricanes, and then they really have increased since the 1980s. The global sea level might be rising another one to eight feet by 2100. And it's risen about eight inches since wow. 1880. So many cities could end up underwater as a result. <laughs> oh boy, better pack your swimming shorts. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> But uh, you know, this is you know, I, I wonder though if this is all caused by human beings. Like, well, it, it's yes, all caused by us, right? Mainly because of us, as humans, we've done a lot in the recent history mm -hmm. of Earth that's changed the environment quite dramatically. We're burning fossil fuels. We've been chopping down forests that capture a lot of the carbon dioxide from the environment and the atmosphere. And this really does impact, you know, temperature around the world. It begins to rise. We're heading towards 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, or that's actually 1.5 degrees Celsius increase by as early as 2030. And this means more water evaporation in the atmosphere, and that changes conditions for agriculture health, and even the water supply. But one of the ways we can help mitigate climate change is by reducing or preventing emissions linked to human activity. So actually, I read that this is mainly related to the greenhouse gas effect, right? Which is how basically Earth traps mm -hmm. yeah, that, some of the that sun's is. energy. Could you tell us more about that effect? Yeah, all right. So simply the solar energy right radiating back to space from earth's surface mm -hmm. is absorbed by greenhouse gases and re-emitted in all directions so this heat uh, this heats the atmosphere yeah. and the earth's surface but we're adding to this uh, greenhouse gas effect because of the gases released right. from industry and agriculture It's as simple as that. These uh, gases uh, trap more energy and increase the temperature of Earth, um, which right. is also known okay, so as we're just, global warming. We're making a, a situation so, warmer, our, our atmosphere warmer. Exactly. So we're sort of yeah. you know, increasing that speed or the rate of how it, it happens. So yeah, we're producing more and more greenhouse gases. As you mentioned, Majid, by chopping mm -hmm. down forests and burning fossil fuels, right? So can you imagine that since the Industrial Revolution began in about 1750, CO2 levels have risen by around 50%. That concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere is higher than at any time in at least 800,000 years. That 
is a huge set of challenges. But what are we doing around the world in terms of tackling this? So yeah, the UN is leading a political effort to stabilize greenhouse gas emissions. They have an intergovernmental panel on climate change, or else known as yeah, the IPCC. You've probably heard that acronym. Uh, they produce a lot of reports, and they have a lot of researchers on the team. And the 2018 report that they produced suggests that keeping the climate or the temperature at around 1.5 degrees Celsius target would require a rapid, far-reaching, and unprecedented changes wow. That's in a all aspects statement. of society. Exactly. Quite impressive, the amount of things that we have to do. Also, the technology that we have is mm -hmm. helping us by improving energy efficiency and vehicle uh, fuel. There's also a, yeah. a rise in wind and solar power, biofuels from organic waste, setting a price really, on carbon these are all the different mechanisms forests. by which we can start, right? Exactly. And scientists are also working on sustainably producing hydrogen for transportation exclusively almost, but also wow. for electricity with zero emissions. So hydrogen or, you know, yeah. more, more uh, known as green hydrogen uh, that will be produced using uh, renewable energy instead of, you know, hydrogen is currently mm -hmm. produced using uh, natural gas, for instance. So finally, there's also work on building better batteries. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know batteries yep. are important. We use them almost every day, right? Um, here exclusively, we want them to store renewable energy, for instance, uh, have smarter electric grid, um, and we also want them to capture carbon uh, dioxide from power plants um, and other sources to store, um, to store that carbon underground or turn it into valuable yep. product like gasoline, for instance. So, Majid, you, okay. uh, let's switch it up and go locally. You have some information on what the UAE is doing to mitigate climate change. Uh, yeah, here. absolutely. So the UAE has the Baraka nuclear power plant in Abu Dhabi. Okay? These are four reactors in the desert, which is a promising endeavor to have energy without direct air pollution mm -hmm. while operating. Right? In 2005, the UAE ratified the Kyoto Protocol to the UN Convention on Climate Change, becoming one of the first major oil-producing countries to do so. So the country has chosen to slash its carbon emissions, including monitoring and tracking greenhouse gas emissions and assessing policies related to them. The International Renewable Energy Agency, or IRENA for short, has its headquarters in Abu Dhabi as well. So the UAE is really at the heart of this clean energy revolution. And in 1990, the UAE emitted 32.6 tons of CO2 per person per year. In 2010, the figure dropped to 21.9 tons. That's a huge decrease. So yeah, wow, that's, that's really cool, actually. And that's uh, mm -hmm. great work that the UAE has done so far. And I know that the UAE is actually working on the idea of clean fossil fuels. Oh, clean fossil fuels? Exactly, uh, which is basically removing sort of the harmful aspects of fossil mm -hmm. fuels when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. So let's focus on what sort of things they're doing, specifically something called the carbon capture okay. and storage technology. So the UAE is already planning a major project in Abu Dhabi under the company called Abu Dhabi Carbon Capture Company. It is one of the first planned projects for carbon wow. capture and storage technology in the Emirate. But, you know, you might ask, like, what is carbon capture? You know, tell me more about it. Well, <laughs> the, the carbon capture and storage is simply a way to mitigate climate change by capturing carbon from okay. large 
point sources. What What's a point source? Do you know? Exactly. So simply, let's say, a big power plant that produces energy. Ah, right. That's one, one example of them. And speaking of which, one of the largest energy producers in the UAE is Adnoc. Okay. Right? So they produce uh, and use a lot of the fossil fuels that we have in the UAE, um, and uh, specifically around 3 million barrels of oil a day uh, oh, wow. is their production, uh, which amounts to what they want to do in the future, which is increase this technology, the carbon capture mm-hmm. and storage, uh, almost to reach 800,000 tons of carbon dioxide annually. Whoa. Exactly. So, so it's a, it's a very ambitious project. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, you know, within the next uh, decade, by 2030, uh, it will be increased to 5 million tons um, every year. Mm-hmm. And the UAE overall aims to reduce its carbon intensity to a further 25% percent over so the next much, decade so as well. There's so much effort going behind this. That's incredible. So I'd like to turn to speak to our guest, Hamid Abdullah Kenji, Environmental Economist in Integrated Environmental Policy and Planning at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi, with a few questions on the topic. First off, welcome, Hamid, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, and I'm glad to talk about this very important issue and looking forward to this conversation. Cool. I'll just get right into it then. So I was thinking, what is the impact of climate change on our environment, and why aren't we making a bigger deal out of it? Climate change is the single most challenging issue for everyone on the planet. And it is such a unique problem. It affects everybody and its impacts keep growing larger. And humanity have transformed, you know, many centuries ago, we used to do more agriculture, basic economic, you know, system we had around agriculture. And then Mm -hmm. we moved to, you know, mercantilism. And it was about trading, you know, different parts of the world, they meet and they trade commodities. And as we moved forward, we went into a rapid development in industrialization and large-scale global trading. What does it mean? It means that it requires a lot of energy, not just to produce things, but also to transport things from one place to another. And human mobility also grows rapidly with that. You know, today you can travel to anywhere in the world. You know, you can just buy a ticket and you can go there. And tickets mm-hmm. are getting cheaper and people can fly. They can use pri- private transportation and these different modes of transportation. All of these adds up to burning more energy. And this energy also, a byproduct of that is that we produce more carbon emissions. And yeah. Now, the problem with carbon emission that as our global stock of carbon emission grows, it means that we trap more and absorb more of sunlight and solar radiation. And this results in warming effects. So today we stand at an average temperature of 1.12 Celsius degree. An average temperature increase from where we were in mid-19th century. Uh, What does it mean? You know, every, let's say, Celsius degree matters big time. You know, you can think about it as an analogy to human body. Today there's a COVID situation whenever you go to a mall or anywhere else, you know, they take Mm -hmm. your body temperature measure. Mm-hmm. One Celsius degree is a, is a big change, and it, it's, it's a great deal. You can think about it in similar analogy when you think about the Earth temperature. As it grows larger, you know, it means you know, something bad is happening, and it is not good. So therefore, it is a big issue, and everybody needs to do something and must do something about it. Yeah, and when it comes to uh, impact, what does it translate into impact? Uh, we see one of the biggest risks of climate change, you know, there are melting glaciers. 
and they are mm-hmm. melting at accelerated rate as average temperature increase uh, much at much faster rate. I mean, scientists tell us today that ocean warming is increasing at 40% faster than what it used to be a decade ago. And we learned that uh, areas like, you know, the Arctic, which is the Greenland area, we see the melting is at least four times faster than it was a decade ago. Wow. Uh, this means that the average sea level rise is rising, and this is a great threat for most of the economies and cities that are around coastal areas. Mm, uh, yeah. If you think about the Gulf countries, they are mostly concentrated around coastal area because it makes sense. You know, this is where trading happens. This is where you get this sea view, and everybody wants to be around the coastal area. You know, there yeah. are other positive things that comes around. You know, to be around these areas. And this is where most of our economic, let's say, you know, density is uh, trading and everything happens there. In UAE itself, there are around 90% of people and infrastructure built around coastal area. Mm-hmm. So sea level rise becomes a major threat. And this is at accelerating rate means that there is, you know, more extreme events of, you know, sea levels, you know, increasing even higher than what models predict. So this is one of the impact that is alarming for many cities and areas that are facing the coastal area. I know uh, Florida State has had a lot of problems with this. And then if you've been in some of the southern states as well, or in Holland, where there are natural Mm -hmm. floodplains, just any sea level rise is going to mean serious impact to the cities. But I wondered, why aren't we making a bigger deal out of it? I think the consensus, or at least, you know, there are a more awareness around climate change today. And I think there are, you know, higher attention to this problem. You know, for example, if I take, you know, a very kind of, you know, um, important report that is being produced globally and shared everywhere, you know, you see it's year to year being updated, which is a global risk report that is produced by World uh, Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. It shows that most of the leaders of industries and countries, they believe that climate change is one of the most important issues because its impact is high and the likelihood that if we fail to deliver the right climate actions and solutions to tackle the problem is going to impact us even you know, at much larger scale. And it's not going to be positive for all economies around the world. So I believe that there is, we are making a big deal of it. You know, I think there are much movement toward you know, having some effort. But the question is, you know, are we making it at the right pace? This right. is where the issue is. You know, there are certain things that you can think about. You know, today are going to be our future realities. You know, there are a growing trend around an increased uh, uh, innovations around uh, making energy more clean and, and yeah. renewable energy is picking up much faster pace today. You know, solar is, is a big, is, is big everywhere. Even in hydrocarbon countries like UAE is one of the countries that had the right infrastructure to make solar, you know, there and to make, you know, to build the ecosystem around solar, you know, infrastructure in terms mm-hmm. of science, technologies, implementation even at the household level we see some households with solar panels and etc because they are also aware about you know not only 
the wider climate impact, but also because it is economically beneficial to do that. And we see around transportation, there have been significant changes. And we see from countries that are you know, big in producing uh, uh, cars are making move to stop any internal combustion system by 2030 mm-hmm. and beyond mm-hmm. that. Uh, and yep. these are certainties, you know, that, uh, you know, there's certainty that these are happening and these are going to shape our reality. But the question is, you know, are these efforts enough and are they at the right pace? This is where I think, you know, is, is the key problem. And this is where we need to start addressing the issue of pacing this effort, you know, to be in line with the global ambition toward limiting temperature increase to mm-hmm. prevent any potential significant impact on all communities and all countries around the world. Yeah, of course, that's uh, that's really important. And I guess you mentioned a little bit of the, um, you know, what governments are doing or businesses are doing. I wonder, as an individual in, in the society, right, or in any society, what are good choices or habits that we can consider or we should consider to kind of like, you know, make this a faster switch? This is a very important question. And, and this is where I think uh, there is much more attention even. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about environmental movement and, you know, it always starts from the bottom. You know, it, it, it historically started with the bottom. And, and I mean, from bottom, I mean, I'm talking about the communities, you know, that feel these impacts firsthand. Yeah. And they feel it in day, day-to-day, you know, activities like communities that depend on fishing or, you know, or they depend on certain mode of doing economic, you know, activities. I mean, communities, when they go out, you know, they feel, you know, there is significant change in temperature, yeah. you know, and and this is where we see communities actually playing major role in in being part of the solution. That's true. And I guess in here, maybe if you don't mind me just interrupting for a second, like in the UAE, some people say it's already too warm. It's already too hot. What sort of difference would that make? Yeah. But I guess it's it's even it's the, the problem is so severe that, um, for instance, when the temperature changes in the environment, you see an impact on our fish um, industry. Right. Yeah. Our fishing industry, which is which is really important for the for the economy here. Definitely. And, and even beyond that. You can even think about, you know, uh, most of the people working, you know, are exposed to some sort of, uh, you know, extreme weather hazards. You know, you can think about people who are working outdoor. They are Mm -hmm. exposed to this hazard, especially heat stroke and uh, Mm. mortality from heat. You know, this is a big area and it's a big, you know, concern there. And you can think about also vulnerable groups like elderly children, you know, when they are in schools, etc. You know, being uh, these children being exposed to these extreme heat, it kind of limits their the, the how much activities they can do outdoor, and it's, it's, yeah. this is growing at alarming stage. And also, you can think about the general, you know, transportation. For example, uh, there is much dependency right now, at least, on private tra- uh, transportation. And sandstorms are becoming a more a frequent, probably, and mm-hmm. becoming more intense. And this lowers visibility. Uh, what does mm-hmm. it mean? It means we, we could witness increased road hazards. And this means accidents, etc. These are you know, not oh, wow. good things yeah. that you want to see. So you need to have some sort of plan to not only to have the collective action to reduce 
overall emission, but also how to deal with these extreme events and extreme impacts and what systems, you know, we need to bring to the right pace, you know, to tackle these problems. And this is where the voice of the community and their engagement, it becomes critical. And, and, and the solutions should be driven also not only by governments and industries, but also having communities to participate in that process, and especially youth. Because climate change, if you think about it, is an intergenerational problem. You know, this is a yeah. very unique characteristic of climate change. What you do today affects people in the future, and probably some of the impacts are is irreversible. Mm. That's why youth engagement is critical when it comes to issues like climate change. We need to talk about it more often. You know, we need mm-hmm. to talk about it and we need to, you know, to do more of that. Uh, this is very important because, you know, many people kind of, you know, need to understand these impacts and how they can also be part of the solution. So therefore, you know, talking about these issues is very important, but also what's important, we need to change the discourse to be around, you know, how we can influence, you know, our day-to-day behavior to be in line and compatible with higher climate ambition. Well, this is exactly what I was was hoping we'd move towards. So if we're talking about getting this alignment to happen, what is happening on the ground now? And how can we as everyday citizens or residents or members of the community be a part of that effort? What are the things we could do? So I think there are many interesting channels and it have been growing in terms of their presence, you know, and, and, and in terms of, you know, providing venues for engagement. You know, we hear about, uh, especially there's much attention to targeted schools, which is mm-hmm. great because, you know, there are where you have the youth with, you know, their creative ideas, you know, coming on board, you know, to provide, you know, some thoughts on what could be done and they can be part yeah. of that, you know, solution. But also we hear, you know, some conversation around campuses, university students. Mm-hmm. And this is very important that we make climate change relevant for every other, you know, uh, people that do different things. For example, if you are doing business or, or you are, you know, majoring in in different fields like, you know, science, technology, etc. You know, you need to think about, you know, what can you bring forward the area of your speciality and make it relevant, you know, to to scale up this climate ambition and to be part of this group of people that want to shape this future. Mm-hmm. And then there yep. are creative, you know, mediums of outreach programs. And, uh, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, now it's more frequent, at least like five years ago when I was involved in an environment agency to talk about climate change. You know, today the, the level of engagement is very different. We see more, uh, you know, more people being engaged and they hear about these topics. And they also try to use creative mediums, you know, that I have never witnessed myself before. For example, I see in film and art and even podcasts, you know, we are doing podcasts mm-hmm. here and people yeah, talk about these course. issues. This Through is very today. important. I was just thinking about things I've done also at a household level. So where a community or even a family can get involved. Um, one is definitely dropping the water consumption and the electricity consumption of the house. So being a bit more conscious of what we're using electricity for and the water. Um, I remember there was a big campaign about not, you know, cleaning your cars every day with copious amounts of water. And you see even now in, in, in uh, you know, shopping malls and open parking spaces, a lot of these water-saving uh, um, uh, car wash uh, purveyors 
Um, for me, one thing we did uh, last year, or yeah, it was the end of last year, was we actually changed our landscaping in the house to sort of align with more arid land uh, type landscaping. So we used cactuses and we used less, we actually have no grass now. Um, and we, we moved the whole garden with a designer to help lay it out, make it pretty, make it more functional actually. So we use wow. the garden more today. Um, and I've dropped my water bill significantly, both summer and winter. Um, and people love it. It's very unique. You see it in other parts of the world where they have desert landscaping. But there's so many things, even at the house level, you could tackle that would contribute to, you know, reducing the impact of this, you know, fuel burning. Exactly. And I agree with you there. You know, there's, let's say, ancient wisdom, you know, because people that yeah. lived in these areas before, you know, they understood what sort of challenges they had firsthand and they created kind of very innovative way of tackling these issues. You know, you could think about, you know, warm environment would induce them to create some sort of, you know, air tunnels, you know, that were mm -hmm. cooled down the air and so on, which was, it didn't require that energy. You know, they didn't require any energy to do that sort of things. Now, what we need to do, I think, is is probably, you know, I know a lot of environmental discourse are, is around greening things, you know, mm -hmm. but perhaps, you know, brown is not bad, you know, especially when yeah. you think about arid region, right? I like you know, that. Desert environment and so bad. on. Mm -hmm. Exactly, you know, and it's important that we have localized solutions. You know, there yeah. are so much talks about, you know, climate solutions, but what this, where's the gap is, what are the local solutions? You know, what solutions work in certain regions and how Absolutely. can we scale up these solutions? And you spoke around, you know, uh, you know what in terms of landscaping, you know, we need to mm -hmm. rethink about landscaping, but we also need to rethink about urban planning. Transportation is a big yeah. issue. And when you think about transportation, I think number one thing is a top priority here is to reduce the need for mobility, you know, the mobility mm -hmm. and proximity of, of services and, you know, people, you know, commuting to work, you know, need to reduce and therefore you reduce the need for energy in the first place. Yeah. So this is going to be very important. And when you cannot reduce, then is is to shift to lower carbon intensive, you know, options. You know, I will give you an idea there. For example, you know, we hear a lot of talk about, you know, electric vehicle. That is great because electric vehicles, you know, have zero emission from tailpipe. Mm -hmm. But we should not forget that they still contribute to some level of emission from the grid because yes. energy supplied has some f fossil burning into that, right? Yep. So what does it mean? It means that we need to make cities, you know, as much as possible, you know, less dependent on private mobility. Mm -hmm. and, and as much as possible, you know, we reduce the need for mobility and we promote different ways of mobility, you know, that people, you know, would find, you know, could be convenient, you know, at some point, uh, like, you know, non-motorized, you know, mobility, like, cycling etc and mm -hmm. even walking you know walking is a very underrated activity right <laughs> i love walking and, by the way and it's I, very we don't important do it enough, that's for sure <laughs> exactly yeah and, and and i see great things i see great changes in some areas like you know i give an example of abu dhabi because i am in abu dhabi right now and mm -hmm. i am around abu dhabi and i have seen significant increase in 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 walking paths so you yeah. can walk yeah, actually that's true. uninterrupted right and this is very important because if you can't do 
kind of a small commuting to 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 get your grocery etc or to go somewhere to visit your friend etc you know these kind of environment do help you you know to 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 eliminate and reduce even you know to completely eliminate road hazards so yeah. you can go out for a walk you can go out for a run you can cycle your way you know you can and it becomes a culture yeah and this is very important i think you know that we take a climate and environmental education out from formal institutions and we make it publicly available. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm right now trying to go to the gym, okay? When I go to the gym, <laughs> there's a problem. Sounds like you know everyone is the problem? The trying. <laughs> yeah, but it's very interesting, you know, in this whole journey to the gym. I am there to get fit, but everybody is fit already there, right? I'm the only <laughs> one who's not fit. <laughs> uh, but, but it's very important, you know, because... There is a culture around these, you know, areas and institutions like the gym mm-hmm. or, you know, or fitness centers, etc. And once I leave the gym, everybody around me is not fit. Perhaps I'm the you know, fittest person around, right? And mm-hmm. so on. And, and, and what is important here is that, you know, many cities are starting to think, you know, that the city should work with the individual should make walking, cycling, you know, running and doing basic exercises, you know, widely available mm-hmm. around the city. Yeah. You don't need to be in a formal institution or subscribe to some sort of an institution yeah. to get that sort of knowledge, right? And how yeah. to get fit and so on and access to these kind of, you know, tools or whatever and so on. So it's so, important that we bring this, you know, a culture at wider community level and the city need to work, you know, with the individual to help So you them. think uh, definitely making the environment more approachable to people will s- sort of like push them to take actions or environmentally friendly decisions, let's say? Exactly. A, mm-hmm. We need to make them more approachable, but we also need to think about, you know, innovative way of making that, you know, even more possible. You yeah. know, a, when we talk about informed consumers, because consumers yeah. have a lot of market power, right? Yeah. They can, you know, have a lot of influence on how catering is being delivered, you know, and how, let's say, you know, they, the things that they consume, you know, they are kind of informed about their impact firsthand. It's kind of very important to simplify that knowledge. And there are many platforms that do that sort of thing. And what we need to help the individual to understand is not just their calories, but what they eat, you know, is car- low carbon intensity, you know, have some sort of yeah. low carbon intensity. And we see a lot of reports now coming in, you know, informing the consumers that you need to reduce your consumption of some products, especially animal products and so on. Yeah. And try to bring in more green stuff in your diet, you know, your, like vegetables, fruits, etc. It's not just a healthy thing to do, but also, you know, it does play a big role in reducing the overall individual far carbon footprint. And when we think about climate change, there's no action that is a small action. Every yeah. Celsius degree matters and every bit of emission matters. So every action that we do that is informed and in that direction, you know, that should help us to scale up, you know, solution. I think what, what always surprises me is that actually when we are talking about climate change, you can take decisions in so many different parts of your life that add up already as an individual and you, they shouldn't be taken for granted. I think one thing, though, that's been stark and I'd love to ask you is how is the challenge to tackling climate change shifted since the pandemic and, you know, including things like green recovery and COVID response, you know, via the EAD? I'd love I'd love to hear your thoughts. The pandemic is it was a very interesting event 
because what we see in pandemic, you know, there's no nation, no community that is separable from the rest of the world. And this is very important that we realize this interconnectivity. Mm-hmm. And once we realize that, it means that, you know, everybody and no matter where we are, you know, our actions, you know, does trickle down to the entire global community. And, you know, there are channels that we are now more globalized and more interconnected. So that will, you know, adds up into scaling up some impacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the pandemic also brought is an opportunity. You know, I would think I would like to think about it this way, an opportunity to rethink how we conduct, you know, business and how we consume things and how we connect with each other. And we need to think about, you know, how we can build back our economies to be more climate compatible. We have mm-hmm. seen some reduction of, of emission during the pandemic because most of the business activity just reduced so much and halted some of them, right? Like the tourism industry, you know, there's mm-hmm. significant yeah. decrease and restriction of how much tourism you could do. Uh, there have been reduction of emission, but this emission can bounce back immediately after the pandemic or once, you know, that situation is much more managed. Why? Because industries want to catch up, you know, with the recovery and so on and catch up with all the losses that they had. Now, the role is if of countries and even industry and communities as a whole is to let's make the new normal, you know, greener or browner, you know, in, a, in that sense, and more, more climate compatible. You know, let's try to emit less and let's try to rethink about how we conduct business. And by transforming all industries, I think there is so much opportunities here you know, to build back our economies better and greener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. And, you know, as you said, you know, taking the optimistic approach to an unfortunate situation, obviously, sort of out of, out of our hands is the best way to go forward. You know, in general, around the world, there's the sustainable development goals that uh, sort of set uh, a lot of countries to adopt, um, you know, more environmentally friendly you know, technologies or uh, focus on certain industries um, and, uh, and move them forward. You know, I guess in reality, the sustainable development goals have been impacted a lot. But I want to know how much have they been impacted uh, during COVID? And I would like to say that, you know, sustainable development goals are very ambitious goals. And they are amazing goals, you know, to be achieved by the global community. Because once we do that, you know, then we we lift people out of poverty. We also improve our communities. We make them more resilient not only for That's climate true. risk, you know, for all other systems. And we have more healthy and, 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 and greener cities around us. This is very important. And I think today, you know, when it comes to climate change specifically, yes, it's very important. Try to avoid to be, you know, alarmist, you know, to kind of to deter people, you know, from, you know, that it is too late, that we mm-hmm. cannot act. You know, I would go here, you know, to this common wisdom. You know, that people usually say, they say the best time to act is yesterday. In the climate context, it was decades ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, the next best time is right now. And this is very important that right now we need to put the right level of efforts, not to achieve just the sustainable development goals, but also to achieve the Paris Agreement goal. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. 
So that that on its own as a goal has been impacted as well. You yeah. know? So in, in the sense that a lot of countries that could have invested money to adopt uh, more climate friendly technologies, let's say solar panels or, you know, wind energy and so on would, uh, you know, after COVID would have probably not had the money to build it anymore. Exactly. And I think it is not just, you know, a, it's not just a money problem, you know, it's, it's, let's say when you think about climate change, you know, the best way to put it is like a space type of mission, you know, that you go to space, you need to have the well there, right? And the well is very important. And then we try to drive all the necessary actions, you know, to kind of achieve that sort of mission, which is a moonshot, or you could say a Mars shot, etc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and this sort of, you know, ethos is very important that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a long-term goal. And, and we need to say that, you know, this goal, you know, we need to simplify this goal. What does it mean to achieve this goal? And this is where I think Paris Agreement is important. It offers a simple and clear target, you know, to achieve, to limit earth temperature to 1.5 Celsius degree at best. And if we can do that, you know, to a maximum of 2.0 Celsius degree. Now, it doesn't guarantee, you know, that we will have, we can achieve that temperature. But what is important there, it sends a strong signal to not just to countries, but also, you know, to all different type of, you know, industries and yeah. society that try to bring the critical mass of, you know, necessary cooperation at every level to enable that sort of ambition to happen. Now, there are things that used to be expensive, but today they make economic sense. Of course, you know, yeah. When you think about renewable energy, you know, it makes economic sense, you know, to push for more renewable energy. And when you think about, you know, electric vehicles, you know, it makes now economic sense to, you know, to move to electrify, you know, more surface transport. But there are technologies that are slightly more challenging. And I think, you know, we need to trust the science and, you know, the the will of of the of the people and even the communities, you know, to bring the necessary knowledge that is needed, you know, to make these future technologies a reality. That's yeah. true. And you know, uh, there are a plenty lot. of uh, like optimistic, um, you know, opportunities that, that a lot of countries will move into, I guess. Uh, but uh, I guess we, uh, Majid, do you have any other questions? Yeah. No, I was just about to concur. There, there are so many opportunities at the moment. And I think so long as everybody is going to make an effort, everybody is going to bring their solutions to the table, I think we have a real shot at this. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just about everybody being able to come together in the, in the community and do their part. So, um, well, listen, Hamid, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for being on our show today. Thank you uh, for everything you've shared. It's been an awesome conversation. And I wanted to thank everyone for listening. You can hear the rest of our discussion on the environment on other episodes. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. This is us. Majid Al-Qasimi and Abdurrahman Al-Zaabi signing out. Bye, Bye guys. guys.